0: Hey, friends. Welcome to my podcast, Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. In this podcast, we explore all of the totally unexpected ways life seems to change as we inch closer to midlife. Most of our episodes are geared toward women in their late 30s to early 50s, and we talk about things like relationships and sudden career changes, making space for new life goals, making peace with the past, and coming to terms with all that weird stuff that happens to our bodies as we get older. I hope you'll finish each episode feeling inspired, informed, and empowered. I'm so excited that you've tuned in, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of Midlife Plot Twists. So let's get started. Hey everyone, it's Lucy Baber, and you're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Tonight, I am talking with a friend of a friend. Her name is Rachel Moore, and she is a photographer in Kansas City. And I'm just going to kind of leave it up to Rachel to introduce herself and her plot twist that we're going to talk about tonight. Go ahead, Rachel. Thanks for joining us.
1: Of course. So my name's Rachel. I'm 41. Sometimes I forget how old I am. And I have been, I'm a mother of three, married, um, living in Kansas City, lived here my whole life. I've been building a business with my husband for the last, you know, he started it about 20, 21 years ago. I joined him in 2005. Mm -hmm. And my plot twist is I was diagnosed with a terminal illness at 39 And um, was, I mean, nobody ever uses the word terminal, but there's no cure. Hmm. And the, my particular illness, I I have stage four colon cancer and the, the odds are not great. It's about 11% survival rate for five years. So what that basically means is that the people who are diagnosed at my stage have 11% chance of surviving five years from the date that they are diagnosed.
0: Wow. And have you gotten any, um, any more specific feedback on that since you've started this journey? Like, do they have a, a more specific timeline for you or is it just kind of like every day we just keep going?
1: When I was first diagnosed, we had a on co- So I was diagnosed in an emergency room with a situation that was going on. And then they, they very quickly figured out what was going on with me. And it was not actually tied to the situation I showed up to the emergency room for. And I was admitted to the hospital very quickly and needed some treatment very quickly. And we had an oncologist visit us. And the oncologist came in and he said, You know, I've seen people live with this particular thing for years and years. And so my husband and I were like, great, (laughs) you know, we're going to (laughs) be, this is just a chronic illness that we'll deal with. And so, you know, he and I are thinking when somebody says years and years, we're thinking 20, 25 years. Right. So finally, at the end of this, you know, 15 minute conversation, my my husband asked, okay, so incidentally, you keep saying years and years, what does that mean? He goes, oh, well, you know, I've seen people live with this for five or six years. Wow. You know, I was 39, I was very nearly 40, and it kind of like just broke our world. We're like, what, what are you talking about? That's not years and years. Our kids right. aren't even out of high school at that point. Ugh. We decided at that moment that anytime we spoke with another doctor, like, we don't want to know. Don't tell me how many years it's going to be. Don't tell me what's going to happen. No. We don't want to know because I think that a lot of times people start living towards that end date. Yeah and so um we chose not to use that particular hospital system we changed to a different system in our city and the the oncologist we met with there was much younger much more progressive had much a lot more ideas about aggressive treatments and basically told me you know you're young there's no reason to not push your body as far as it will go in treatment and so we were really excited about that and i said you know if anybody in my family asks you, or if I ask you at some point, what's the prognosis? Don't tell me like, I don't Mm. want, I really don't want to know because at this point you're just living for an end date. You're living for an expiration date. So, um, he's never really told us like for you specifically, this is what I see. I did ask him about, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I asked him more specifics about my particular situation. And I said, don't, you know, I don't want to know what you think for me, but you know, what information do you know from somebody who might be similar to me? Or Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe Mm -hmm. I was dancing around the issue. I don't know. And he said, quite honestly, most people, when they're diagnosed, we see about a 32 month. This, you know, most people have about 32 months. Okay. I asked that at the 20 month mark. Which okay. was a bad idea because then I immediately think thinking, "Oh my god, I have one year left." Yeah, which is totally what I didn't want. Right, <laughs> when I first said that. So then I just had to remind myself, like, that's an average, and I'm not freaking average. Like, I'm, I'm a badass. I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna be average. So I may not live to be 80, mm-hmm. but I certainly don't want to. I'm not going to give it up at 43 either. No, absolutely not. That that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: So let's step back a minute. Uh, walk me through, like, had you been relatively healthy up until that point? Like what was happening in your life in, you know, the months prior to that emergency room visit? So in, huh. and I know, I know sometimes that can get really complicated. So whatever you're comfortable
1: sharing, whatever feels oh. like the condensed version or relevant yeah, I mean, the condensed version is probably best for everybody involved, but it's <laughs> I, I always tease and joke that I am such a hypochondriac and this is not a joke. Like it really happened. I web MD'd symptoms of hypochondria once mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> if I was actually a hypochondriac. So I, I think it was just me trying to self assure myself that everything was fine. I was just reading too much into things. Um, But I quite honestly had been, looking back, I'd probably been having symptoms for maybe five or six years before I was really diagnosed with it. So you had been having symptoms
0: and trying to get answers for that long or just kind of like, huh, what is that? Uh,
1: Well, uh, kind of, sort of. So I colon cancer is really sneaky. Mm -hmm. Like the every symptom that anybody has can always be explained away by something completely different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you may go to the doctor because you have symptom X and then they'll say, well, it could be this, 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 or this. Keep an eye on that. Tell me about this later. Well, these symptoms also kind of come and go. Yeah. And for somebody in my particular situation who just wanted reassurance, When a doctor told me, "Mm, you're too young for colon cancer, Mm. but I'm going to do a quick exam. Oh, I don't see anything. Then my answer was perfect. Great. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm going to go on the rest of my life. I was reassured. Yeah. But I didn't push it like most people should have just because I wanted the reassurance that I was fine. Yeah, that's fair. I, I had visited a doctor maybe... I keep trying to figure out how long ago it was, and my youngest was not in school. So it was probably five years ago. And they did a quick exam. I'd gone in because I was having bleeding. You know, when you go to the restroom and there's bleeding there. And so yeah. I'd had some really difficult births mm-hmm. and they knew about that. And so basically the doctor was like, you know, you're super young, you're a woman, you don't have risk factors, and you had really terrible births. My guess is it's hemorrhoids and birth does some weird things to, you know, the Southern region. You <laughs> and, know, so, you
0: know, women get, women get these crazy responses like that. Like, right. well, you're a woman.
1: So, right. okay. <laughs> Everything right, is exactly. normal. <laughs> and you know, and most people, and this I, this is I've, something I've kind of learned lately after being diagnosed, most people who are younger that get diagnosed with this, this disease are Black men. And so- wow. He's like, you're a 35-year-old white lady. There's yeah. no reason that, you know, you should be anticipating that. I don't see that as being the problem.
0: So did you, at that point, did you get, like, blood drawn and a colonoscopy and that whole thing? Or was it just, like, no. a, a quick look and a
1: and a reassurance? It was a quick look with some sort of little scope that he had. And mm-hmm. I left the camera, you know, I left the office feeling, like, perfect. I'm fine. And I'm just overreacting to things okay gotcha so um you know fast forward a couple of years and I my husband and I were taking a business trip to Philadelphia actually Mm -hmm. and I just wasn't feeling normal like I was using the restroom a lot and I always felt like I needed to know where the restroom was and he was busy working when we were there and I was touring the city and um, I just didn't feel like myself. And then we came home and that was like in August, we came home and by November, I, you know, I was a wedding photographer and so my busiest time of year was from September until you know, till November, I was always really busy with weddings and then family sessions and seniors and all that stuff. And I just was exhausted. And so I would nap during the day and just didn't feel like I had a whole lot of energy, but I just all chalked it up to, I'm always busy this time of year. If I'm not shooting, I'm editing up late, trying to get stuff done. I'm a mother of three plus trying to run a business. And I kind of just chalked it all up to that. Then we got through the holidays with lots of naps and Mm -hmm. by February, my oldest daughter was, we, I took her shopping for a dress for her dance that she was going to. Mm -hmm. And I could not get through a night of shopping without sitting down and needing to take a break. And I was losing a lot of weight and feeling really great about myself. I'm like, I'm looking good, I'm losing all this weight. And my husband's like, something is not like, people don't lose weight like this. Like you're just judgy, stop being judgy. And Hmm. in March, there was a day that I just felt absolutely terrible and started having chest pain And I called my husband and I was, he was out with our kids running errands. And I said, I need you to come home, but I can't tell you why. I don't even know. Like, I just don't feel right. So I laid down and when I laid down, I started having, like, I couldn't catch my breath. And, um, I started thinking back on a today show episode where they were talking about women and signs of having a heart attack. Okay. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm having a heart attack. I need to go to the hospital. Hmm. So I went to the hospital and they hooked me up to machines and I'm like, yeah, you know, we've looked at your EKG and you're not having a heart attack, but we are concerned about a blood clot. Like we want to make sure before we send you home that this is maybe a panic attack, but we want to double check. Mm -hmm. So they did a CT scan and they sent me back for the CT and they came back, you know, I came back into the room and it was me and my husband and my mom, and we were all talking about things. My mom's like, I think you're having a gallbladder attack. You know, your sister had a bad gallbladder. I've had a bad gallbladder. I think that's what it is. And then suddenly the room fills up with doctors and they came in and they said, yeah, you're, you don't have a blood clot. You don't have a, um, embolism, embolism or anything, but we did see something and there are tumors on your lungs, multiple more than one multiple. And we kind of stopped and he goes, and there's tumors on your liver. And wow we're kind of, I mean, it's one of those things like the screech, everything comes to a stop. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah. And we don't think that that's where they started. So we need to do another CT scan and go lower in your body. And so they took me back again. They did another scan. They brought me back in and they said, yeah, you have a a, a huge tumor on your colon. And that's what caused the other tumors. And so we immediately knew it was stage four, because if it started somewhere and it went somewhere else. All the way up to your lungs, that's Right. So we immediately freaked out. <laughs> and they admitted me to the hospital. And the biggest problem was that I was, I, my colon was almost blocked. And so we had to, ha- I had to have a surgery right away. It's called a colostomy where they divert basically your intestines, instead of to coming out the normal way, you the, the bag the, thing, the bag, right. Okay. So thank God that was temporary. It was reversed after I, after some treatment was able to shrink the tumor. Mm-hmm. I was able to have the tumor surgically removed and the bag reversed. So I don't have to deal with that anymore, but, okay. And then the liver tumors, they were able to remove. Thank goodness. But I still have 11 tumors on my lungs that there's no way to remove them. And actually uh, yesterday we had another oncology visit and the tumors on my lungs have, they're resistant to treatments they've grown. Hmm. And there might be, we don't know until tomorrow, there might be another tumor on my ovaries. So we have to deal with that. Okay. It's helpful to me and I hope helpful to other
0: people too, to hear that whole process, because I feel like I don't always get a chance to hear the nitty gritty and the, the progression of information. You just kind of hear like the end result, like this is what we learned. But like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around. So you, you said you were 39 at the time. Right. And
1: how old was your, how old were your kids at that, at that point? So my oldest would have been 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son who's in the middle would have been 11. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest daughter would have been eight or nine. I'm trying to do math backwards. Yeah, I
0: did. Sorry, this is not a math podcast, so
1: you're <laughs> allowed to be off
0: They are so I know what grade they were in at the time. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, I mean, obviously your your kids are like in the thick of it. Like, you know, they're sure. not they're not tiny anymore, but they still need mom. How did How did those conversations go in your household once you realized like, you know, uh, it sounds like I'm imagining you've you've been through quite a bit of treatment. Is it safe to assume that radiation has been a part of that as well?
1: I'm not a candidate for radiation unless. And that's another thing we we had an MRI today, actually, to figure out to make sure it hasn't gone to my brain. Um, If it has radiation is really the only treatment they can do there. Okay. On my lungs, is not, radiation is not an option right now. And surgery is not an option because they can't just go through and hole punch out. If they're on the outer parts of my lungs, that would be one thing, but it's, you know, they're all over the place. And so they can't yes. just, if they did that, I'd be on oxygen for the rest of my life. I never would be able to take a deep breath. And it's just not a quality of life yeah. thing that I want to deal with. So with my kids, honestly, that was the absolute hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And my husband had asked me, he's like, do you want me to tell them? I said, no, I really feel like I have to be the one who tells them. Mm-hmm. So my oldest, they, they all knew I'd been in the emergency room. And then all of a sudden I was admitted yeah. and we didn't have a whole lot of answers for them until the next day. So we had to figure out from that time, which was a Sunday until they got out of school on Monday, what were we going to tell them? Mm-hmm. And my oldest daughter got out of school earlier and my husband brought her up. And I watched this kid it was like, you know, she's 14 years old and just starting high school. And I see my daughter collapse to the ground when she heard the news. Like she just, like her body couldn't even hold her up because she was so devastated about what was going on. Mm. And then my two younger kids, they were at the same elementary school and my husband picked them up and brought them over. And he just tells this story about how he watched them walk down this hallway of a hospital, having no idea what was about to change in their lives. And he said, I just kept wanting to say to them, don't go in that room. Don't go in that room because your life is going to change from this. The minute you open that door, your life is going to change. And having to tell them the heart, your kids are going to ask you, when you're seriously ill with something, their inevitable question is, are you going to die? And the only thing I can tell them, and I told them at the time was, "I, all I can do is promise you that I'll try everything I possibly can for that not to happen. Yeah, But you can't promise your kids you're not going to die because you're lying to them. Right. I mean, nobody can. Right. So and knowing full well what the odds are in my particular situation, I can't let them look back and say, my mom said to me in a hotel, in a hospital room, I'm not going to die. It's going to be Right. full. Well, you know, that's just not the facts. And the question isn't if the question is when, and so we, we, that's kind of what we got out of our doctors. And that's kind of the information we have is everything we're doing because there's no cure is longevity and quality of life and how we're going to, you know, stretch this out and do everything we can. And maybe if we can't, we're able to stretch it out long enough, there'll be something that comes up. That's another treatment that gets us another certain amount of time. And so that's what you hope for. Yeah. But so at this point,
0: all three of your kids have heard you use the word terminal and they understand what that means, or are they still kind of thinking mommy's trying all the things
1: I think that they just all think I'm just trying all the things Okay, because I don't know my you know my oldest daughter now is 16 and I somebody told me a long time ago like you just set goals and you set those goals so that you know you're you're working towards something every time and my first goal was just to get to her high school graduation well that's a year and a half from now then my second goal is my sons. And then my third, third goal is my daughters. And then we go from there. And I don't know that we've ever really talked about the inevitable, but we just talk about one step at a time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: So you've had
0: that conversation with your kids. This is a huge plot twist. How, (laughs) how have you been processing that in terms of your, your own feelings? What, what kinds of steps have you needed to take for uh preparations and like what what does that look like for you
1: right now where where are you with this it's been a couple years in gosh I thought I thought a lot about you know where this leaves me what changes this in my life and the Mm -hmm. first thing that it changed was my husband was very big on me stopping shooting weddings okay and I, I think the big thing was that he didn't want me to be away on Saturdays anymore. Mm. You know, I was working 10, 12, 13 hour days. But the, I mean, the easiest answer was I I booked a year in advance. I couldn't promise somebody that a year from now, I wouldn't feel crappy when I woke up on their wedding day. True. So to me, it was an easy, yeah, I can't do that because I can't keep my promises anymore. Mm-hmm. But really, I think what the biggest plot twist is what I've kind of figured out is that I reached middle age, which I guess, you know, 40, 41 now, but I'm not going to really have a middle age. Mm -hmm. So I'm suddenly thrown into this world of, I understand old people a lot better. Okay. (laughs) That's, if that's, if you can understand that, like I understand their thought process and why they think the things they do. And like, they're, they're coming to a, a certain point in their lives where a lot of most of their life is behind them. And so they're trying to enjoy what they really loved the most. They're trying to close out, I don't want to say close out relationships, but, you know, heal things and stop worrying about things that don't matter so much anymore. And, you know, when you talk to maybe if you talk to your grandparents or you talk to people that just, you know, were older that seem like they don't worry about stuff so much anymore. I think I've reached that mm-hmm. in my life. Like, well, that's not worth my time anymore. And that's not something I need to hang on to anymore or, or hurt feelings or anger or that sort of thing, because it's not worthy of my time. Cause it's like
0: more fleeting. You can recognize that like this feeling won't last tomorrow or right. you, don't, you don't want it to last for the people that you care about.
1: Right. And, you know, I, I had had a lot of things that happened in my past that I was still really hanging on to a lot that I was just able to let go of because Mm. it didn't matter anymore. I didn't have the time or energy or emotional energy anymore to hold on to it or process it anymore. And so it's kind of a, it's a really hard thing to describe to other people. Like when you're suddenly faced with the reality that all this time that you thought you had to, not necessarily do things, but to heal things and to work through. And it's just not there anymore. And so you, you value the time that you have. And it's not as magical as most people think, like, it's not a, Oh, this is the most magical moment. I need to remember this and, and, you know, process this and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's not like that. It's just more like you appreciate simpler things more because it's not so heavy. It's not Mm -hmm. like, you don't have to put so much into things that, just enjoy simple moments, enjoy simple things. Give me an example
0: of that. What's, what's a simple moment that you've found yourself trying to soak up more?
1: Well, we took a family trip last summer before. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other issue is, you know, when you find yourself in a, in a situation where your your time is limited and all of a sudden the world shuts down (laughs) that's frustrating because i had (laughs) all of these concerts and trips planned for this year that were completely canceled yeah you know you you quit thinking about money so much like i kept i my whole life i was so worried about making sure that we were secure and safe and you know when you're self-employed it's a whole other level of that Mm -hmm. that you always worry about money and my husband finally just said to me last time like we need to take this trip we need to go do this we need to you know stop worrying about those sorts of things and just worry about spending time together so last summer we had the most incredible experience my husband was supposed to he was supposed to have a shoot in San Francisco that we were going to go do and when we were there he is a huge Pixar fan like it is his his be all and end all Pixar is the most amazing company to him the most amazing corporate culture to him mm-hmm. and so he wrote to Pixar full well knowing that you know you can't get on their campus without an invitation and he all he wanted was a picture mm-hmm. on their campus. and he also knew that they have an incredible gift shop that you can only shop at if you're on their campus and mm-hmm. so he had asked them if we could just get on and take a picture Mm -hmm. And so he wrote them this long letter, you know, how much their movies have meant to our family. We happen to be in the Bay Area, you know, this summer. Is it possible for us to get on and just take a picture on your campus? And hold on, hold on.
0: Okay, I'm just going to like, ask it as bluntly as I can. Did he also... Play the cancer card? He
1: played the cancer card. Okay.
0: <laughs> I just needed to be clear. Okay.
1: And my son called him out on it. So...
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's valid. It's, it's it there
1: for a reason, right? Like, Right. What... So, yeah, everybody tells you when you get cancer, like, you have this card to play. And I'm like, no, no, we're never going to do that. So my husband played the cancer. <laughs> okay. And his, what he said was your, your movies have always like our family has been the people that show up at midnight to watch our <laughs> movie. He's like, they meant so much to us. And his, this is another part of the story. His uncle had died a year and a half before I was diagnosed of a brain tumor. Hmm. And he said, you know, my uncle and I had... Before I met my wife, he was the person I saw these movies with, and he happened to pass away from cancer a year and a half ago, and then my wife's diagnosed, and all our family wants to do is just spend some time together, take this picture, maybe shop in your gift shop. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And the executive assistant of the studio head, (laughs) Pete Doctor's executive assistant, wrote him an email back and said they wanted to invite our family onto their campus, they would give us a tour. We could do anything we wanted. We could have lunch there, shop in their shop, meet all these directors. Wow. And it was the most amazing day of our lives. Wow. And not because like, I mean, I like Pixar movies fine, but Mm -hmm. to see somebody you love so dearly, just enjoy magic around them. Like it was the best thing that had ever happened to my husband. (laughs) And to see him that happy in the midst of one of the worst times in his his life was just so fulfilling and so wonderful. And so I wasn't necessarily enjoying the experience of being at Pixar. I was enjoying the experience of watching somebody I loved so much, just happy with abandon. Mm -hmm. Like there was nothing wrong with that day whatsoever for him. And that's the kind of moments I'm talking about just watching people you love enjoy life Mm -hmm. that's what it's about serving other people and being with other people and the fact that you know (laughs) my my son (laughs) telling somebody later and he's like and dad told them that mom had cancer and they were like yeah (laughs) and and David's like Andrew you can't tell people that (laughs) but yeah he played the card but it all worked out so
0: I mean that's that's beautiful and like kind of fascinating to hear you describe it because i had never i've never heard someone describe it that way that like you know you you hear about people who have like their one last wish or whatever and like i want to go to disney world or i want to go you know to paris or whatever um but it it feels like it's always about like what the person who's dying wants um i've never heard somebody say what i really want is to experience joyful moments that my family wants or that the people I care about want I think that that makes so much sense to me I had never thought about it that way tell me about that like what what do you think that's about like I obviously I'm sure you had things that were on your bucket list as well like where do those still feel like priorities too or like where are you at with that
1: I can tell you I am honest, and I'm not just saying this, I honestly feel like I've accomplished absolutely everything I've ever wanted to have. Mm -hmm. I felt so incredibly lucky in my life. Like, you know, I, I grew up thinking I was going to be an American history teacher and that, Mm -hmm. and I went to college. And when I was there, that was the time, you know, it was the early two thousands and teachers were telling me to run for the Hills. Don't, (laughs) you know, don't get into teaching right now. It's terrible. And so I, I didn't. And my husband had started this video production company and I joined him and then I learned how to shoot photography. And then when I did that, then I, you know, I built this business and that sort of thing. And I had, you know, I I have the home I wanted and I have the kids I wanted. And um, I, I can't say that everything's been incredibly easy and we've had a lot of heartbreaks along the way, but I accomplished the goals I wanted to have. Mm. And so I've never once felt bad for myself in all of this. I always feel bad for the four of them. That makes sense. And I feel like, and I keep telling my husband this, like, I really don't want you to feel sad that I didn't fulfill X, Y, or Z, because I've never felt, I've always felt very fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And my sadness is I won't meet my grandchildren and I won't take my girls' wedding dress shopping. And so I have to have plans for that. Like I have things that letters I've written and Mm -hmm. I have gifts that I want given to my kids on their wedding day. And um, I guess that what you feel like you're going to miss out on isn't that experience for yourself. You experience, you, I've watched so many parents on their children's wedding day over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And when you have kids you stop being the bride and you start being the parents on those oh, days. Yeah. Yeah. And so you watch them and you see, this is just as much a big deal for them as it is for the bride, mm. maybe in a lot of ways more so. And mm. so I've watched them for 15 years and I know that I don't, I don't get to dance with my son. Mm. And so what I'm sad about is that I'll miss that. But that day at Pixar, I got to see my husband just purely happy. Yeah. And not a single thing could have ruined that for him. I mean, if we would, if we'd been jerks that day, and not, to, <laughs> you know, not going along with what he wanted to do, he would have been really miserable. But I get to imagine that, that, that sort of day was, you know, I got, I got to sit in that and I got to be in that. And so you really, I, what I've learned over the last, you know, year and three quarters now is that, you really need to just start being present in your life and sitting in what's happening around you mm-hmm. and of thinking about the next moment. Think of, you know, be in this moment. It's so silly. Everybody always says, you know, it's such a cliche. Nothing's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Nothing, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed and nobody really puts any thought into that until you're faced with that situation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I would just encourage everybody to just be in the moments kind of cliche too, like stitch it on a pillow, mm-hmm. but it's more like feel the feelings that come along with what's happening to you, feel the bad things, feel the good things. Because if you're numbing yourself to all the bad, you don't really get to feel the really good either. Yeah. And I spent so much my, of my life trying to numb away the bad by just trying to stay at this base level of if I I'll give up the really good highs, if I don't have to experience really bad lows. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us do that. Like they just, we just kind of try to, and I'm not saying numb it away with, with things, but I mean more like not really truly feeling what's going on.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, we all do it with, with sleep, with food, with our phones, with busyness, productivity, like, mm-hmm how So how, on a practical level, if we're going to like make this more concrete, have you changed like habits to be able to feel more present? Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day for you that you, because I can imagine, here's my thinking with that question. I can imagine just because you know that your time is limited now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: does it mean that you don't still get annoyed with your kids?
1: Sure. Oh especially now that they're remote learning and like yeah. we're all stuck <laughs> in the same house for a year together.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't still like, you know, roll your eyes if uh, your husband leaves socks on the floor or you know, all those little things that like don't mean anything still have to come up on a day-to-day basis. Like how are you dealing with
1: with that? Where does that I think at you? first, my first thought was, you know, I don't want this oh my God, you go through this phase when it first happens where everything, you know, he, my poor husband, I, uh, the sun set and rose with me. Like he was (laughs) suddenly opening car doors for me again. And I was so fragile and, you know, we were back in that phase of just everything was heightened. And I guess we felt like we, I don't even know how to explain it. Like it was just this higher level of Taking care of one another and everything was more precious. And then you kind of settle back into a real phase of life where, yeah, your kids are freaking loud and <laughs> fight with each other. And you don't, you know, part of you is telling you, like, I don't want them to remember me yelling at them. But at the same time, I can't raise little buttholes either. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a hard, It's a really hard mix of regular life and Hallmark movie life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've kind of fallen back into that phase, particularly with COVID and being around each other 24 seven, like we try really hard (laughs) to remember each other's feelings, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, we're all human. We have to remember to forgive each other for our faults, but at the same time, like also forgive me for losing my patience with you Yeah, because we're human beings. And so it's a, for me, I have found myself. So I went, I went through many, many years of therapy well before any of this happened mm-hmm. because of a lots of different things that had happened in my past, but being a therapist yourself, you know what EMDR is Yeah. Yep. dealing yep. with associating your body feelings with your memories and the things that had happened. It basically associating what your body is with what your your mental feelings are. Yep. And um I have really started to feel myself lately slipping back into that not letting myself feel the physicality of emotions. Mm-hmm. And so when I started doing that and I started realizing that I was compartmentalizing pain a lot more, that's when I knew it was time to start seeing my therapist again. Like, you're not, you're not dealing with this. You're starting to shove it back down again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you start having those same physical symptoms as well. Yeah. So being able to recognize that was important. And it's a really hard thing too, that, you know, the people that I used to other than the person I paid my therapist, the people, you know, the friends and my family, my parents, my husband, those people that I would normally pour my heart out to, I can't do that Mm. because it hurts them. Yeah. And it brings up emotions in them. And so I feel like I can't talk to my best friend about my fears and my thoughts because then she has to confront that she's losing her best friend. Yeah, the same with my husband and the same with my kids. And so I do have to go back to my therapist to deal with those things because yeah,
0: th- therapists are great at helping you do the processing part so that you can still be honest and transparent with the people you love, but in a more like palatable packaged way so right. that it's like protecting and not just dumping on people.
1: Right. Well, and you know, in the past I could go out to coffee with my best friend and say like, oh my God, I'm still thinking about that time in eighth grade when that girl was a total B and did this together, <laughs> but I can't go out with my best friend. I'm be like, I'm really worried about dying because right. that reminds her that she's losing. I, I have to protect all those other people. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that's one of the things that I've lost and that I feel a lot of grief for is that there's only one person I can talk to. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely openly about it.
0: That makes sense. Because I have so many things I want to talk about that I feel like uh, don't get talked about enough. I so appreciate your transparency with me here because I, I you started before we even started recording. You said like, if there are questions that feel too personal, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. So I appreciate that because I feel like I can sense from you that it feels important to be able to give other people maybe like a little bit more of how to prepare for this than maybe you had or that, that maybe is available in the, in the cancer surviving communities. I don't know, but, um, but I want to get to some of the things that, that maybe you feel like need to be addressed. One of the questions that came to mind was what are the stupid things that people keep saying? (laughs) Like, what are all the, (laughs) like, (laughs) Give me, give me the dirt because I feel so many people are afraid to say things and say the wrong things. Like, just tell me what they are.
1: (laughs) Well, it's never, well, maybe it has, I don't know. Maybe I've, I've brushed it aside. I had a a friend, a Facebook acquaintance, you know, post on Facebook once that, you know, she's uh, battling breast cancer. And she said she finally lost her shit about it. And she'd said... (laughs) people will ask you what the prognosis is, which really means, are you going to die from this? Yeah. And my initial thought was, Oh yeah, that happens. But really, when you think about it, like people don't know any other way to ask how serious it is Mm -hmm. because there's so many different levels of cancer battling and cancer survivorship. And, you know, it's, you know, some people get cancer and they, my grandmother, for example, my grandmother had breast cancer twice. I never knew about it as a kid. And it was, I don't want to say it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal, but it certainly wasn't anything that was truly Mm -hmm. life-threatening. You know, she had treatment and she had a mastectomy and then, you know, she went on with her life for 30 more years. Wow. So people don't know if, if it's like that, yeah or if you're dying in 6 months right you know the opposite of that was my aunt had and i didn't realize this until later that she had colon cancer mm-hmm. she wasn't my aunt she was my dad's aunt, aunt actually but you know that was back in 1987 and she got diagnosed in may and she died by january wow and so a lot of kids growing up in the 80s like i did when people got diagnosed with cancer they died like right. it like that, it was a six-month, year-long thing, and so people don't know where you fall in that spectrum. Mm-hmm. They're trying uh, the the word prognosis is polite for "Are you going to die in six months?" This is what yeah. I kind of figured out, and so they just don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. And they, I try to put myself in their position and what would I be doing if somebody I knew from my kid's school mm-hmm. was in our situation, where would I be? What would I be saying? Would I be one of those people that sent a gift card over Mm -hmm. and wrote a really nice note in a card, but couldn't be brave enough to say anything to their face. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Would I be one of those people that was, you know, like I have this group of girlfriends that there's four of them. They all got together one night and sat down and made a list of everything that they would need. If something happened to their husbands, They showed up at my house one night and they're like, okay, this is what it is. We're going to do this, 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 and this for you. Wow. And they just took care of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so where would I fall on that? Can I, do I need, you know, I, I, I can't blame anybody for their reactions because I don't know what my reaction would be Mm -hmm. if somebody I knew was in my situation. And so I don't know that it's something stupid somebody said, but I think, I think that's what most people people with cancer kind of complain about the most is, you know, hearing somebody say, what's your prognosis? Mm-hmm. It, it, colon cancer is a tricky one because nobody wants to talk about poop. <laughs> like The biggest part of all of this. And I even said that to my, my husband when I was first diagnosed. I'm like, of course, of course, in my life, I get <laughs> blood cancer out of everything. So that's a whole other level of discomfort. For <laughs> I don't want to talk about um yeah. one of the funniest things that ever happened was when, so when you have a colostomy, basically, you know, you've got that bag that collects waste mm-hmm. and you don't think about this. You don't know about it until it happens to you. You also, everybody toots throughout the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure.
1: And you can control it when you use things a certain, you know, the natural way. Well, mm-hmm. you can't control it with the bag and so it just makes noise. (laughs) My husband at my son's sixth grade graduation, because my my system was making a lot of noise, Mm -hmm. my husband claimed it for himself when the sixth grade boys turned around and looked at us wondering where the noise was coming from. My husband every once in a while would just go, excuse me. Oh my gosh, pardon me. (laughs) That is true love. When your husband <laughs> will claim your farts for you because he knows you can't control them.
0: Oh my goodness, that's the best story I've ever heard. Maybe <laughs> that's incredible. Did you like did you just sit there and let him did you like laugh
1: what happened what does that look like oh, of course I'm laughing and of course <laughs> I let him take you know take credit for them let him, you know five sixth grade boys think that Andrew's mom was ripping it behind <laughs> him so, yeah I just let it. it was truly I can I can tell that story now that the colostomy is reversed and those mm-hmm. things don't happen to me anymore but yeah yeah. That's like I said, that's true love when you'll claim your spouse's farts. <laughs> your-
0: <laughs> what has surprised you the most about this journey that you've been on the past few years?
1: I, I grew up and had a lot of particularly middle school and high school <laughs> thinking nobody liked me and thinking mm-hmm. that and I, maybe that's a, you know, teenage girl thing, thinking that nobody really notices you or cares about you or likes you. I think I've been most surprised by the rallying that people I knew 25 years ago suddenly care about what's going on in my life. Mm. They've expressed concern and love and sent help and gifts and well wishes and they check in with me and the, the popular girls that I thought could have cared less about me have rallied around me and um Mm. it's a weird thing when you when you know that you know when you were 14 and you had no self-confidence and feeling like you were invisible to the world and suddenly something happens to you and people actually express like oh my gosh yes I remember you and this and that and we care about you and we want you to do well and we want to take care of your family and that sort of thing that's been surprising to me and then having that kind of echo out into my adult life and all the diff- different people that have rallied around my family and wanted to do things to take care of us and help us. And then my clients and, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family that my father was a police officer and my mother was a nurse and they did things for the common good. Mm-hmm. And then my, my brother grew up to be a police officer. My sister worked in medicine. My other brother is a, he works in medicine. Everybody in my family does things for the common good. And I always felt like as a photographer, what a different lifestyle I led from them. And then I started realizing when all of my clients started reaching out to me, what I, I was leaving behind something like they, my legacy had been their life's moments absolutely it's
0: and you you build a community when when you're a part of people's lives for
1: years like that right and so you know at, at the beginning of this of this fall season i sent out an email to all of my clients that said as you may or may not know X y you know this this has happened x y and z i am still shooting this fall i want to hope you know i hope that i have the opportunity to work with you again. And so many of my clients reached back out to me and said, you know, we just didn't want to bother you. Mm. But we do want to work with you again this fall. And we do want to have our family's photos taken. And I guess, so uh, long answer to your short question is just the love I received from people who I felt was so, I was not consequential in their lives. Mm. And then I found out later that I did matter to them in some way. And that's so, you know, that boosts you up. A lot, and you find out that your life wasn't as anonymous as you thought it was. Mm, that's powerful.
0: That immediately makes me think about your your kids, um, because they're in that time frame that you mentioned. You know, like teens are rough. I guess my first part of the question is, how are you sharing that with them? That that wisdom that you've got, gotten that like you're not anonymous, even though you're going to feel like that time and time again, especially in your teens. But then my follow-up question is what else do you want them to know? What, what, what kinds of messages are you leaving for them to get later down the road?
1: You know, my oldest daughter is 16. She's coming out of her, she's more confident than she was when she was 13, but she's not, you know, all, she's not grown up yet. She's Mm -hmm. just, she's, she's doing grown-up things, but isn't an adult yet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she drives and that sort of thing. And my son, is extremely introverted and it's hard to pull things out of him or his thoughts or his feelings. And then my youngest is the one I just, I have so many, I, I hate to use the word this, but I, I feel, she's the one I feel the most for mm-hmm. because I feel she's the one who's most like me. Mm. I feel like my older daughter has five years on her. Mm-hmm. She gets five years with her mom that she doesn't get. And I always think about her with every decision I make, and every every, you know, when my she's eleven almost, and she wants to show me things that you know. We're moms; we know like the, how many times do I have to look at slime and be? <laughs> <laughs> yep, same. Thing. My, my oldest is ten. I know. <laughs> oh my god! But <laughs> I have to also remember that that's the most important thing in her life right now. Yeah. And I still have to show her that I'm just as interested in what she's interested in. So I, I feel like I can boost her. I don't know if self-confidence, self-worth, I guess is the word I want to use. Yeah. With my older daughter trying to keep her making the right choices and you know, my husband and I have talked a lot about pre-grief counseling, which we think is extremely important, like preparing yeah. for things that I think a lot of parents in our situation don't even think about. Like They think that's an afterthought when we really want to prepare them for that sort of thing. So yeah, what I want to leave for my kids is you always feel like your life is well-lived when you serve other people mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how you serve them as long as you feel like you've done something worthwhile. So, you know, it took me a really long time professionally to feel like what I was doing was worthwhile Mm -hmm. until I realized from my clients what it meant to them when I did what I was good at doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my oldest daughter has decided she thinks she wants to be a nurse. And I think it's because, you know, she's been around a lot of things. And so she'll be, Serving people in that way. And we've, we've always tried to, you know, every year we adopt a family at Christmas because we want to make sure they know that it's not just about getting things. It actually feels better to give things. And mm-hmm. that's what I want them to walk away with. Just life is so much better when you share it with other people And life. Your blessings are so much better when you extend them to others and they're going to go through something really, really awful at some point. And I can't save them from that. But if they are extending themselves to other people throughout their lives, other people will extend themselves back. Yeah. And, you know, my husband lost his dad when he was 15. And so I've always kind of lived my parenting life thinking, oh gosh, you know, this, I have to do this a certain ways, so they have certain memories, because you never know how long you have with your kids, not even knowing at that point that, you know, something would come along in our lives that would lead us to that. But I think you're just a better person when you live your life for other, I don't want to say live your life for other people, because that sounds like you're not enjoying your own life, but when you live your life to make the world a better place in some way.
0: Yeah, I, I hear that. I mean, it sounds like when you're, when you're focused on taking care of the people in your life. Mm-hmm. If that's that's good stuff now you mentioned your your husband's father passed away are you are both of your
1: parents still living mine are mm-hmm. uh, and his mother is but i I never even met his his father um mm. he died when he was 15 and so that's a whole other factor that goes into all this is you know he experienced that at that age mm. so we kind of you know, you, when you, in our situation, you have one of those deep conversations with your spouse. And he said, you know, I was I've just thought so much about it. And maybe this was all preparing me to be able to be a really good parent to them because I know what they're going through. Like literally know mm. what they're going through. Yeah. The life doesn't, you know, life works out in a funny way. When bad things happen, there's always something there to guide you and help you if you really look for it absolutely how
0: have you maybe this is a weird way to ask it but I don't have other words how have you prepared your parents for Ugh. their loss because <laughs> that's not a thing that most people expect no and like and that's and, and that's the other piece of midlife that I haven't even really gotten to in this podcast is we are living our lives right now between generations yeah
1: I'd like to say that we're the baloney in a bullshit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have children <laughs> we're taking care of and parents that are just at the cusp of, of older age. Yeah. And it's a really hard balancing act. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, that's really the hardest thing to answer. It's really the hardest part of this whole thing for me is my parents have lived, gosh, they've lived such a wonderful life. And they've, you know, they've, they've been married for almost 50 years and bad things have happened and they've worked through them and they've, they've had so, so many wonderful things happen to them and some bad things happen. And then this is, there's a lot of guilt that goes into, they're going to have to bury one of their children. Mm -hmm. And I think that as parents, We all think if we can get them grown and having their own families and out of their house, you know, out of your house and surviving and standing on their own two feet, you've kind of reached this, this finish line of parenthood Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and to know that you, it can still come back and something completely unexpected can happen. It's heartbreaking for me and it's really hard for me to deal with that, my God, I haven't even told them yet <laughs> the news we got yesterday because I, I, I can't tell them everything until I have all the information I'm going to get at one point in time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because I know there's going to be questions and I know there's going to be phone calls. And what did you think about this? And did you do that? And that's a hard part of this, of being an adult and somebody's child all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the looks on their face when I have to tell them bad news is really, really heartbreaking and really, really hard. And I lied last night to avoid it, to be quite honest. yeah. But that's a really, really hard part of this because I really think that they started to feel like their lives had, they had just retired and their kids were all most, you know, married and on their own and living their own lives. And a very unexpected thing kind of came up and bit them. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. It's a really, really hard part of this. That makes sense.
0: Have you found, oh, well, so another two-part question. My first question is, have you found community with other cancer patients? And my second part of that question is, how are you doing in COVID times? Have you been able to physically see the people that you love right now?
1: So uh, community with other cancer patients. I have found, for me the only time that that's been beneficial to me is when it's somebody else I know personally. Yeah. So this is a weird thing. My high school class, we graduated 250 people from Mm -hmm. and that was in 1997 and we've had eight people with cancer so far. Wow. Which is an incredible number and five of those people have been colon cancer. Part of us, you know, part of me thinks like, that's really unusual and weird. There's gotta be some sort of like answer behind that. Hmm. which nobody's ever gotten to the bottom to but one of the colon cancer people has passed away somebody else uh, passed away from leukemia hmm. another person um, I was incredibly close to in high school and then he in fact his cancer came when we were still relatively young like in our early 20s and he's he's gone into remission he's fine now um, and he and I had been friends ever since then. And so when I was diagnosed, it was well after our friendship had renewed from high school. And so I, I'm able to be in contact with him a lot. One of the popular girls uh, has had breast cancer and she and I have actually become pretty close in all of this. I, and I hate to call her that like the popular girls, but they were people that I felt when I was in high school were untouchable like I Uh, yeah we all know those people if they even knew who I was I certainly wasn't cool enough to be around them (laughs) and so she's gone through a breast cancer journey and so she and I have been in touch a lot another one of the popular girls had colorectal cancer and she and I have been in touch a little bit so like I said the people that I've found comfort in talking to are people I've already known Mm -hmm. when you get on these Facebook pages And communities with other people that are in your same situation, it's, it tends more to bring me down or make me anxious or make me feel, I don't want my whole life to be about cancer. This is a really small portion of our lives. It's going to have a huge impact on it. Mm -hmm. It's a really small portion of our lives. I just don't like to live in it.
0: Yeah. And that, that, that resonates with me because I mean, obviously it's a different circumstance but I remember even thinking that as a parent, as a new parent, I don't mm-hmm. want to just make friends because we have kids the same age. Right. People who like like the same stuff that I like and, and know who I am as a person outside of that. You don't want to identify only
1: as this one piece. Of right. It. Right. I didn't want to just be Aaron's mom my yes. whole life. And I don't want to be <laughs> Cancer Rachel. Like yeah, yeah. such a small portion of everything that goes into our lives. And so <laughs> I tried at first and I even, you know, was in, in contact with and became an ambassador for the colon cancer, the fight colon cancer pe- research people. And I just, it just was not healthy for me to constantly live in that. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the people that I commiserate with or have a community with are people I had already known in my previous life before this. The, the answer about COVID, it's been a huge bummer because like, yeah. I said, like I had these trips planned and I had finally learned to live my life with a little bit of abandon and without feeling like I had to be responsible all the time and not, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm going to this concert. Cause I want to, I'm going to this on this trip because I want to. And blah, 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 blah. it came along, <laughs> and, you know, life got canceled for a while. Mm-hmm. And my brother who I'm very, very close to, who lives in Atlanta we were talking by text on election night after a lot of wine Mm -hmm. and he was saying, oh, I'm going to take you to France. Let's go to France in June. We're going to go to Paris. We're going to go to London. We're going to go to Amsterdam. And he and his husband have, have done that trip already. He's like, you're going to love it. We're going to take David. who's my husband. And so I'm like, yeah, okay. And he's serious. Like they want to go. And my brother-in-law's like, I hear we're going to Europe. So I'm like, okay, if COVID will go away, we're going to Europe in June. Mm. So we'll see if it happens. But it, my oncologist basically said, you are the girl in a plastic bubble. You need to stay away from people more than the average Joe. And you're so, the you're the person that we're wearing the masks for. Exactly. Um,
0: yeah, I'm that person. So. Which like, we, we want everyone to get that. Like, you're not trying to be selfish by wanting to, live to see your kids another day like and right we're, we're doing that we should be doing that
1: we had to choose remote school this year so you know fifth grade is in my front room and junior years in Aaron's bedroom and yeah eighth grade's in the basement but we're living we're getting through it have you made any choices to like form a pod or see
0: like have you hugged
1: anyone outside of your house um I've hugged my parents a couple of times I mean, I'm not trying to like guilt you or anything. No, no, it's fine. So we, we have the the same group of girlfriends that got together and kind of did so much for us when all this started. Mm -hmm. We do a Friendsgiving every year and we actually host a huge Halloween party every year, which did not happen, Mm -hmm. but I just was not willing to give up Friendsgiving. And so we did that last weekend Mm -hmm. and wore our masks the whole time. It was really, really nice to be able to see my friends and sit socially distanced apart, but at least be in the same space with them. Yeah. My mom, so I had had surgery on my my liver and the reversal of the colostomy and surgery on my colon February 27th. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and everything shut down here March 13th, I think. So you had barely even gotten out of bed. Yeah, we that. were two weeks ahead of everybody on social wow. distancing. <laughs> my mom said to me one day, like in March, she said, "You know, I just didn't realize that last time I hugged you in the hospital, that was the last time I was going to hug and kiss you." And oh my so, gosh! Oh, oh my god, mother stuff. she's <laughs> like oh. one day, one day we'll be
0: together again. <laughs> but I mean, is it is it enough if somebody were to say, "I will quarantine for 14 days and get tested and all of it, and then we can hang out?" Or is that just like like where I'm, are you I with that? You can
1: ask somebody to do that so my best friend has come over a few times and she'll sit on our front porch mm-hmm. sit out there and talk um and I've gone to her house a few times in the same so we basically meet outside
0: mm-hmm.
1: my parents we have gotten back into this like when when it was really you know when we were everybody was really locked down they would come over and we'd all sit outside together uh, far apart with masks on and that we've kind of loosened up on that but my, my brother and my sister, I have two brothers, one that lives in Atlanta and one lives here. My brother who lives here, his kids go to school and so do my sister's kids. And so they're really anxious about being around them. Mm-hmm and then coming over to us. And so we're kind of, I don't know, the pariahs of my family because nobody can be around us. So we can't, we can't do Thanksgiving together. We're probably not going to do Christmas together. We'll see what happens. But then you, you know, my husband and I were talking tonight, like, what if this is my last Christmas? Is this the way that we want to do this? And I was like, well, I'd rather it be a what if and do it the smart way. than somebody brings us COVID and it's definitely my last Christmas. So weigh your know, you options, I guess. It's such a ridiculous
0: time that we live in. (laughs) It really is. So (laughs) you've shared so much um, and I so appreciate your frankness and your, your um, willingness to just be open. What did I miss? Is there anything else that you wanted to like put out that this is your platform for a minute? Like, what do you want people to know? What do you just want to get off your chest? What, what are you thinking about right now, as far as your opportunity to share with the world.
1: (laughs) I don't know. You know, I spent so much of my pre-cancer life worried. I was such a worrier, Hmm. worried about absolutely everything I worried. And and I'm not positive that my level of anxiety and there is a, there is a true gut brain connection.
0: Mm -hmm. And the
1: fact that I ended up with colon cancer, isn't super surprising to me. If like, Uh as much as I worried in my life and as much as I held into my body. And I just would encourage so many people. I don't know. I, I let go of the worry.
0: Yeah. You you said that to me, just so you know, like <laughs> I like every sen- part of that sentence you just said, I'm like, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, she's going to hit me hard here. <laughs> yeah. it,
1: it, well, you know, and, and being self-employed, like I said before, there's so much worry that comes with that. There's so much, not only being a self-employed, but being self-employed in an artistic industry, (laughs) very competitive and artistic people tend to have, you know, what was it called? Um, Imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And knowing that about myself, that I was constantly worried that, oh my gosh, people are going to find out I'm not as, I'm, I'm not worthy to be hired. Mm -hmm. And then I won't be hired anymore. And my family will starve and we'll lose our house. And it's all going to be my fault. (laughs) <laughs> and you've just got to, I'll tell you this, the number one thing that I realized coming through all this is mm. life is not black and white mm. because you fail at one thing. Doesn't mean your life is over Yeah. because something bad happens. Doesn't mean that everything's bad. And that is the, that was so shocking to me when the absolute worst news came to me that I didn't just the, the world didn't burn down around me. Mm-hmm. There was help. And there were people that were there to, to support me and to love me and to, you know, the very first thing that I said, when somebody, when the doctors told me that I had tumors in my body was I looked at my husband. I said, we can't afford this. Like mm-hmm. it was an option. Like, oh, no, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. We can't afford to pay for this. <laughs> yeah. <nobody knew the laughs> <cancer. So, laughs> That wasn't, you know, there were people that that were there to help. My parents were there to help and my community was there to help. And there's always good that comes along, even in the worst situations. Mm -hmm. And you can find yourself absolutely down and you feel like you've hit rock, rock bottom or something terrible has happened to you. But there is a silver lining and there are people there that love you. And so even if people can't drag you out of the depths of the bad thing, they can certainly there be there to boost you and to help you. Mm-hmm. And just to feel loved by other people was so, like I said, I spent so much of my life feeling anonymous mm. or not important enough to be noticed. Mm-hmm. And when you found out that other people did know you and did care about you and love you and want to help you, that was earth shattering. That was earth moving, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's that's all really good stuff. That hit, Like I said, that hit me very hard. So thank you for sharing that. Before I ask my last question, well, so typically I'm like interviewing somebody who might have like a social media presence or uh, wants to pitch or promote something. I'll give you space to do that if that is a thing that you have in your life. But also if, if it's not, uh, I'm curious, have you set up when that day comes, are you looking for people to donate anywhere, either to help support your family or maybe to give to a charity of your choice? Like what, what are your plans around that?
1: There is, there are a lot of people in this world that don't have the support and the, the love and the help that we've experienced. And so I would just encourage anybody, if you, if you want to give, or you want to do something in honor of anybody that you've loved that's ever gone through an experience like this, find a non-for-profit in your community. And there is one in every single community you know, the one that is here in Kansas city is called cancer action. And they, their sole purpose is just to help people that feel like they don't have resources to help get them through this journey. Mm. So just reach out to somebody like that and either donate your time. Like people need rides to treatment sometimes, or they Mm. need their families adopted at Christmas because they don't, you know, there's a lot of parents that are going through this journey that don't have the ability to provide for their kids for Christmas because cancer is expensive, right? It's expensive. And you might not be able to work anymore. Right, exactly. And so if if you're so inclined and you want to help somebody who's in a situation like that, reach out to a, a group like that for myself, personally, like the, the, my work is dwindling down to I, I really only shoot uh, families and seniors anymore Mm -hmm. and the families I work with are families that I've worked with for years. I've started to consolidate my work time down to what I really, I don't want to say care about, but what's worth the time of doing. So families that I've worked with for years and years and years. So I don't really promote myself that way anymore, Mm -hmm. but I do write a blog about not necessarily my cancer experience, but my life. Since I've been diagnosed with cancer, the, the different thoughts and things I have. Um, it's called Shits and Giggles in KC.com. <laughs> um, I'm trying to keep it funny because my husband and I have realized that life is so much better and bad things are so much better when you're able to laugh your way through them. Hmm. Um, so if if you're inclined to and you want to read what's going on in my world, that's the blog to go to and I'll send you the link. Okay. And yeah that's pretty much it.
0: Okay. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, last question that I always ask everyone on the podcast, if you could go back and, uh, share some wisdom with your younger self,
1: what do you wish you could say? It's going to be okay. I just, I, like I said, I was such a worrier and I just always worried about having to keep my finger in the dam Mm look at what's going on around you and experience that and enjoy that. And I don't think I enjoyed enough of when my kids were little, Hmm. I was always so worried something bad was going to happen and trying to prevent that and do everything. I all putting all my energy into constantly trying to prevent bad things from happening and a super bad thing I couldn't prevent came along in life dealt me the hand it dealt me and all that worry didn't do anything it didn't it you know that old saying that worrying today just ruins today it doesn't prevent Mm -hmm. what's coming along Mm -hmm. so stop doing that to yourself yeah yeah that's huge
0: I mean like I was going to challenge you on it's going to be okay (laughs) because (laughs) because I I know my younger self would have been like yeah yeah (laughs) and not really heard Ah, that old woman you (laughs) don't (laughs) know but uh but but you said such a such a bigger truth which is like you can't stop it by the with the worrying right life's life's still gonna happen so where where, what is the truth not just it's gonna be okay and not like telling your younger self to stop the worrying i'm not even just hearing you talk about your younger self i'm not sure she would have heard that either
1: no, what she would she have heard? She would have heard gosh, you're just so you're so quick to dismiss that when you're, you know, when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to actually let go and if if I really could have felt like, you know, my therapist told me and I really remind myself of this when I start having a panic attack or I'm going through a really hard time is at this very second I'm okay. And mm-hmm at this hour, I'm okay. And on this day, I'm okay. And Mm -hmm. so if I can take it one step at a time when I'm panicking, or I'm having a hard time with something, that's what I would tell myself from back then is you can you're going to get through those seconds that are awful and those minutes that are awful and those days that are awful. But worrying about what might happen a year, 10 years, 15 years from now isn't going to make them not happen. Right. It's just gonna make today miserable. Yeah. So only think about, you know, like I said before, it's so cheesy when people like live in the moment. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is enjoy the peace of this moment. Yeah. You're safe. Exactly. You're safe and you're fed and you're clothed and you're housed. Mm -hmm. Worrying about whether those things will be there tomorrow isn't going to make that not happen. Yeah so enjoy that you have it right this minute
0: hearing you talk about that also reminded me um we don't have to get no whole birth conversation but I remember when I was uh in labor with my boys the the big kind of mantra that I kept telling myself uh was you can do anything for one minute Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I feel like if if we kind of lived our lives like that we could get through a lot of minutes
1: (laughs) right exactly exactly and that's the way that I feel like when I'm having a real, Oh God, today when somebody was trying to give me an IV and it was not going well, <laughs> I was like, you're going to come out on the other side of this, just keep singing your song. And I, ha- you know, I, I don't mean to go into a long story, but I planned on having two children. I had three and <laughs> uh, when I found out that that third child was coming along. I had a panic attack and didn't feel like I could afford her. And mm-hmm. Oh my God, we're gonna have to buy a different house. And can we do this? And do I have the time for this child? And I went for a drive and Bob Marley's three little birds came on <laughs> and from that moment on. That song is anytime something is awful, I can get through three little birds. I just sing it to myself. And she was my third little bird. Oh. I got the tattoo on my arm. With my oh, bird. look at them. Oh. So I look at that tattoo when I, when things are really bad and think I just sing the song to myself and I get through it. So anyway, that's, that's good stuff. Thank you for helping me flesh that
0: out. Cause I think people will hear that too. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Rachel, for, for sharing with me. I, I know I said you were a friend of a friend, like Rachel and I have not met and we're not going to meet, I imagine, uh, in person, but this was like such a huge, like you feel like a friend now. Oh, so I, that's <laughs> I, hope, <laughs> I hope that you'll, you'll keep in touch. And I mean, obviously down the road. There will be updates, and um, you let me know what you want me to share on here too. Okay.
1: Sure. Well, and I will say to all of you in Philadelphia, hey, thanks for going blue, friends, because Kansas <laughs> didn't help anybody out, and uh, it's been a good month. So we'll <laughs> we'll see how our world changes in the next couple of months
0: yes I'm so glad you got to see that that I oh that my god good.
1: I did not want to leave this world to trump so <laughs> <laughs> well again thank you so much
0: thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of midlife plot twist don't forget to hit the subscribe button and show some extra love by leaving a review I'd love to hear from you you can reach me on my website at lucybaberphotography.com or on Instagram at lucybaber. Thank you so much for joining me, and I can't wait to chat again soon. Until next time.